it's a privilege and a comfort to know, isn't it, that throughout our lives we can turn our eyes to Jesus and we can find help, a refuge, comfort for our needs. And I am so thankful for that reminder today. I would ask you to find your place in John chapter 10 this morning. We'll be in several scriptures today, but I'll ask you to turn to John 10 to begin. And that's where we will be starting today. John chapter number 10. On Friday night, I think it was, we were at the house and doing some different things in the kitchen, and I consider myself, for the most part, to be pretty handy around the house. I can do projects and build furniture and, you know, have taken on doing some different things like that, taught myself some things, but I found out something I never knew before. Miss Rosie informed me that she knew. Maybe some of you did. Uh, at some point, the dishwasher was being unloaded and prepared to, to be loaded, and I noticed there was some food in the bottom around that filter thing. I knew what that was. What I did not know is there are very sharp blades around that filter, and so I reached in and was scraping food off that thing when I heard a noise. That noise was my finger being slapped open, and I bled like a stuck pig, as they say, all over the place, and I didn't even realize what had happened at first. Started looking down in there, wondering if there was a piece of glass or something down in there, and realized, no, there are, there are some very sharp blades in the bottom of that dishwasher to cut up that food, I guess, that I was trying to get out of it. How many of you knew that already? Yeah, so you think I'm pretty unsensical or something, I guess. But uh, I learned that, and I was dripping blood on the floor and in the sink and was being told to just go sit down and don't do anything, you know, and just take it easy and all that, and do we need to go get stitches and et cetera, et cetera. And after, after a few hours, it decided to let up a little bit. But, um, you know, as, even as I thought about that, and was getting blood all over the place and had blood on my hand, I, I thought about the blood that is on our hands in the form of abortion. And this is an issue that has become near and dear to my heart over the last several years in particular. I think it was about five years ago as I was preparing to preach. It was Thursday or Friday afternoon. I was at home studying and studying for a message in Philippians, and God was continually impressing upon me to go a different direction. And so in the middle of studying, I just completely changed direction, put those notes away, put that study away, in turn to preaching on the issue of life. And it was not long after that that we established a partnership as a church with our local pregnancy center. 
And God has blessed that partnership greatly. Um, at the end of 2020, they were able to purchase their new ultrasound, as you've heard, largely in part due to the gifts of our church. And they have reiterated to me numerous times, several of the center staff, that our church is among the most faithful supporters that they have in the area. And we have been such a help and a blessing to them. For about four and a half years, I've been serving as the chaplain. Uh, and it's looked a little different at times, especially with COVID and uh, some different changes. But at this point, I go in a couple of times a month to challenge and encourage the staff members and am involved in other ways. But thankful for the opportunity that I have had, that we have had as a church to partner with them. And I applaud you. For that, Several of you have been engaged outside of monthly financial support and prayer support. Several of you have been engaged in volunteer work and maybe giving gifts apart from what we give monthly as a church. And I am thankful for that and I applaud you for it. It is such an important work. But as important as... This issue is to our hearts. It is even more dear to the heart of God. Those involved on the front lines of this issue deserve our support. Financial prayer and coming alongside them and help them. But I would also say that those who have made choices that we look down on who perhaps are on the wrong side of the issue, also need our love and our help. They're people we should love. They're people we should reach out to and try to be a help and a blessing to. My in-laws came in for just a couple of days on Thursday night. They really did not come to see us. They came to kidnap Adeline and Michael and take them back to New York for a while to spend time with them. And they left this morning. Last night as we were finishing up dinner and Brooklyn and Evelyn, who've had that opportunity a few times, and now it was Michael and Adeline's turn, were talking about it. And they were specifically saying how much they were going to miss Adeline. And I looked at them both and I said, well, you're going to miss Michael too, aren't you? Michael's going. And Brooklyn says, well, he's mean to us. <laughs> Never was there any, yeah, I'm going to miss Michael. But isn't it true at their ages, I'm not too concerned about it. And I informed Brooklyn, well, you think Michael irritates you? Adeline will get to that point, too. She'll irritate you, too. Not too concerned about it with them as siblings. A brother is born unto adversity, so, you know, it is what it is. But I thought about even in relation to our vision as a church, and we spoke on Vision Day about our need to grow in love for people who are unlike us, who we struggle to get along with, who maybe don't agree with us, 
about whatever the issue may be. And I thought about that again last night, even in that experience with my children. God loves everyone. And there may be certain people or certain types of people that we struggle to understand that. Friends, it's amazing that God loves me. It's amazing that he lavishes his love on me. And he calls you and I to love others as he loves us. And it's an area we need to grow in. Recently, I had an opportunity to participate with the Resource Center for a strategic planning day. So often, as I was involved in that day and as I thought about this issue, so often we think of, and sanctity of life, please understand, is more than just about pro-life, pro-choice. It's about the value of every human life. But this is a common issue that we see so clear in our culture. But I thought about this reality. So often we see pro-choice pro as a life and death issue. In reality, at its heart, it is. But I started thinking of it a little differently. Because especially those who may think differently than we do, do not see it as a life and death issue. It is completely a life issue. You say, Pastor, what do you mean by that? I want to show you from the Word of God how this even comes out in the Word of God. What if the value of life is not a life and death issue but what if it is actually an issue between choosing two ways of life in his daily devotional entitled new morning mercies the april 16th entry paul david tripp wrote about man's search for life and he wrote these words he everybody searches for life somewhere God has placed the quest in each of our hearts. It is there to drive us to Him. It is there because we were made for Him. But sadly, in their lifelong quest for life, most people ignore God. In their God amnesia, they look for life where it cannot be found. And because they do, they always come up. Do you know today that from the very beginning, God has declared a message of life and death? When he set Adam and Eve in the garden, he had given them life. And their lives were designed and intended to be forever. But God gave them a choice. And it was a life and death choice. He said, I have set this tree in the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It bears fruit that if you eat of it, 
you will have this knowledge of good and evil, but something additional is going to happen as well. The process of death will be given. If you eat of that fruit, of that tree, you will surely die. The, the Old Testament declares things like the soul that sinneth, it shall die. The New Testament declares to us, for the wages of sin is death. From the beginning, God presents this dichotomy of life versus death. But what happened? What happened way back there at the beginning? The enemy came. And do you catch what the enemy did when he confronted Eve? The enemy attacked God's message and said it's not life and death. It's two ways of life. You, you say, really? Is that what happened? Think about it in Genesis 3. Man was perfectly situated in the garden. He was perfectly cared for. God made sure all of man's needs were met. He had everything he needed. He was blessed. He was sustained. He was preserved by God. He had a perfect relationship and fellowship with God. God came daily to walk with man that he created and talk with him in the garden. But then the enemy showed up. He questioned God's commands to man. He, he asked Eve, what has God said? What trees can you eat of? When given an answer, he directly contradicted God's word. Listen to what the Bible says in Genesis 3, 4. After Eve gave her reply, the Bible says, And the serpent said unto the woman... Ye shall not surely die. What did God say? This is a life and death issue. You will die if you eat of that tree. The enemy showed up and he said, No, God's keeping something from you. God has lied to you. You won't die. This is what will really be. And instead of life versus death, the enemy contradicted what God said, which, by the way, is absolute truth. Convinced the woman, and the woman the man, that there are two pathways of life. God's way and man's way, which is really the enemy's way. And man's way is best. Why did Eve come to eat of that tree? And then Adam. They believed the lie of the enemy. It's not really about life versus death. It's about two ways of life. And that way is the better way. And do you know throughout the Bible and time, that conflict continues to be discussed and continues to be demonstrated you're in john 10 look at verse number 10 it's 
familiar passage, but I want you to see that Jesus, when he makes the claim he does here, presents this dichotomy. John records for us Jesus' claim to be the good shepherd who gives his life for the sheep. Through him, man can have life that is true and abundant. Conversely, though, what does the enemy come to do? To steal, to kill, and destroy. Look at the verse, John 10, verse 10. The thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. This has been the battle from the beginning in the issue of life. God declares a path. And in that path, there is, if you will, the proverbial fork in the road. And one path leads to life, the other leads to death. But the enemy declares many paths. Ultimately, God's and man's, and man's way is really the best way. Think of it as it relates to the issue of life. From the abortion front. Does the world present abortion as a choice between life and death? No. They present abortion as a choice for life. The chance for my best life. I love how one pro-life activist and advocate put it. I don't remember his name, but he said essentially this. The gospel declares, I will give my life for you. Abortion declares, you'll give your life for me. There are many people, different circumstances, different reasons that these choices are made. And I will tell you, as you've heard before i hope that sometimes the women who make a choice for abortion are forced into that choice i've seen it happen in my dealings and interactions and experiences with the senate i have seen the father of the child Weep and beg the mother of his child, carrying his child, not to go into the clinic and have an abortion. I've seen it happen. And then there are those who simply make a choice of convenience. I'm giving myself my best chance at life. But the Bible declares that God provides true and abundant life for all. And as we consider life, this Sanctity of Life Sunday, I want us here to recognize that we all have two choices for life, God's way and man's way. Each of us needs to true choose wisely. Now what does God's word reveal about true and abundant life? Beginning in John 10.10 with Jesus' claim, is to examine the scripture to see the results of choosing God's way of life versus man's way of life. Let's start with the beginning of life. 
Go back, if you would, to Genesis 1. And we'll not spend a lot of time here because I know that it's something that you have seen before, that you know, but I need us to see it again today. The beginning of life. The truth is we do not need to wonder about life's beginning, do we? God tells us how life began. It's declared for us in the opening pages of God's perfect word. But it's unfortunate that more and more professing Christians are adopting a view that is not biblical as it relates to the origins of life. In the last few weeks, I had the opportunity to sit down with a good friend of mine. We served together on staff at Pensacola. He and his wife were volunteers as members of our youth staff as Stephanie and I served in the youth ministry there. Studied science field as an undergrad, already has his master's degree. Just recently, in the last couple of years, moved to Waco, Texas to pursue his PhD in a scientific field. But he has always had a heart for creation, the Genesis account, and God's truth. And he shared with me as we sat over dinner a couple weeks back that he has great concern for the number of Christians he has spoken to as he is pursuing greater uh, knowledge and understanding in this field and how they reject the Genesis account of creation. Just straight up reject what the Bible teaches about creation. And as he has interacted with churches the number of Christians who just do not have a grasp on what the Bible teaches and how it is proved. And he has a heavy heart for this. And it's unfortunate to me that believers find reasons to doubt what God's word teaches regarding the origins of man. Look at what the Bible declares in Genesis 1, 26 and 27. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Chapter 2 will give us more detail about this. But all I want you to see this morning is that the whole basis of man's origin and God's original intent for him is described right here. There are two important truths declared about man's origin. Number one, it was by God's creation. Man is neither the product of evolution according to secular definition and explanation, nor is he the product of widely accepted belief called theistic evolution. And friends, that is becoming more and more popular in American churches, this belief of theistic evolution. That God created the, something at the beginning, and man's evolution eventually was the result after God created life in some form to start with. That is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that man is the direct, special creation of God. He spoke creation into existence, but when it came to man, 
the value of man is demonstrated in that God did not simply speak man into existence. With his very hands, he reached down to the dust that he created and formed man, and then very intimately and personally breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Man is the direct special creation of God. And that's true also because not only is it by God's creation, but it's in God's image. Do you understand today that your puppy at home is not created in God's image? Or your goldfish? Your cat is certainly not created in God's image. No other part of creation is this true of. Let me remind you that God's image does not reflect physical likeness. God is a spirit. Jesus became man to live and die for us. But God the Father is not a human. He's not in human form, though he can take human form. He's a spirit. So when the Bible says that we're created in the image of God, you do not look in the mirror and see a physical resemblance of God. God's image and likeness speaks of similarity of character. If I were to describe that simply, it would be in the senses of comprehension, intellect, choice, the ability and the way that we can decide things, and conduct. We do not act as the animals on instinct, but on the basis of our comprehension, <coughs> the ability to see two ways and make a choice. I have no idea what just happened. But it hurts. <clears throat> and so God has made us in his image. This is the beginning of life. Secondly, I want you to see this morning the struggle of life. Join me in the second chapter of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 2. As we look at Jeremiah chapter 2, I want you to see a very clear example of this dichotomy, life and death, or just two ways of life. The account of man's creation provides the recognition of God as the source of life. We understand that God is not the source of life only in a physical sense, but also in a spiritual sense. Jeremiah was an Israelite who declared God's word to God's people. And here in chapter 2, he shared a rebuke God had for his people. And as we read, I want you to see or answer this question. What is the basis of the rebuke? Look at Jeremiah 2, beginning in verse 9. Wherefore, I will yet plead with you, saith the Lord, and with your children's children will I plead. For pass over the isles of Chittim, and see, and send under Kedar, and consider diligently, and see if there be such a thing. Hath a nation changed their gods, which are yet no gods? 
But my people have changed their glory for that which doth not profit. Be astonished, O ye heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid. Be ye very desolate, saith the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. What was it that God was rebuking his people here for? It's twofold. I want you first to think of it in the sense of God's provision. What does this passage identify of God? Earlier on in the text, you could say that it identifies God as the true God. He talks about Israel turning him over to worship the gods of the other nations who are no gods. They've given up their glory. That glory was they worshiped and served the one true living God. But then God says, they've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. What, is, what does that identify? It identifies God as the source of life. Water is necessary for life. God speaks of himself here as a fountain of living waters. A, a source of unending supply of, of water that gives life and bears life and produces life. Jesus would use similar terminology in the New Testament when he spoke of to the Samaritan woman at the well and said, if you would ask of me, I'd give you living water. And then later in John chapter 6 and 7, he invited people to come and drink of him. And if they would receive him, it would produce in them a spring, springing up into life everlasting. God says here in the Old Testament of his people, they've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. They have turned from me, the source of life, both physical and spiritual. And that is a sharp indictment because God is the source of all life, physical and spiritual. Friends, literally there is no life apart from God. He's the creator and sustainer of physical life. If God were to withdraw his hand from you, do you understand you would no longer breathe? Your heart would stop beating. There's no life apart from him. He's also the provider and preserver of spiritual life. But what God identifies here is not only his provision, but also man's perversion. In forsaking him, the fountain of living waters, what does God say his people did here? They forsook him, the source of life, the fountain of living waters. They worked from their own wisdom and resources to create and choose life in, of, and for themselves. They wouldn't go to the source of living water, the, the fountain. They instead made cisterns. What are cisterns for? when it rains and so on to collect and hold water but the problem is that's not living water that water just sits there it grows stagnant but god said beyond that their cisterns were what broken they can't even hold water to begin with 
what is God speaking about here? He's talking about that dichotomy, that conflict that began in the garden when God said life and death. Even in the covenant, what did Moses declare to the people? God sets before you life and death, therefore choose life. The soul that sinneth, it shall die, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. What did Jesus say, John 10, verse 10? The thief cometh to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that ye might have life, life and death. But the enemy says, no, it's not life and death. It's just two ways of life. And by the way, man's way is better than God's way. And God's people in Jeremiah had fallen for that. Just like you and I do. Anytime we make choices that are not to follow God and his way. It applies across the whole spectrum of life. Not just the specific area of pro-life and pro-choice, but, but life. And friends, can I remind you that it's not a social issue, it's not a political issue, it's not even strictly a moral issue. At its heart, it's a gospel issue because life and death is always connected to the gospel. I am come that ye might have life. The gift of God is eternal life. The wages of sin, death, but the gift of God, life. Always, life and death is a gospel issue. Then I want you to think of God's promise. And it was found back there. When man who already had God's command, knew God's instruction, and chose his own way, God gave a promise in Genesis 3.15 to destroy the enemy and to deliver man. From the moment God, from the moment man chose his own way, God provided for him to have life. Man chose his own way over God, and every man since makes that choice many times. We make choices many times to choose our own way over God's way. But God, in his love and grace, promised and provided life through his son Jesus. He lived the life that we can't. He died the death we deserve, and he rose to life. So would you think finally with me for just a few moments about the choices of life? Each of us makes these choices often, even many times daily. And we're left with this question, will we choose God's way or man's way? God's way is provided by and through Christ. It is in Christ, by Christ, through Christ, that you and I can live a life God's way. Man's way is described in these two repeating verses in Proverbs found in 14.12 and 16.25. There's a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of what? Death. The ways of death. We make life and death choices every day. 
will we choose God's way or our own? How can you and I demonstrate what it is to choose God's way of life? Jesus came. He said the thief came. Who's the thief? It's that enemy. The serpent in Genesis chapter 3. Satan. The devil. He came to steal, to kill, to destroy what God made. What God offers. But Jesus came. To give life and not just any life but abundant life that we can experience even now how can you and i demonstrate what it is to choose god's way of life let me give you these three applications and we'll be done number one experience it and that starts with beginning a relationship with christ through the gospel if you're here today or watching by the internet or listening in from somewhere in North Carolina or somewhere else in the world. God sent Jesus Christ to this earth. And he lived the life that we can't. What do you mean by that, Pastor? He lived perfectly. He never sinned. He never made a choice that is man's way. Think about this. We saw this in a video a couple of nights ago we were watching with our kids. Adam and Eve were perfectly situated and perfectly cared for in a perfect place. And there in that place they made a decision against God. Jesus went out into the wilderness, fasted for 40 days and nights, and was tempted of the devil. And he chose God's way. He chose right. He lived the life we can't. He died the death we all deserve. And he rose to life to offer you life. Trust him. And you might be here today and you're a Christian. You're a believer in Christ. You've trusted him as your savior. You're on your way to heaven. And you might be here today and say, Pastor, I don't experience an abundant life. If that's what Jesus came to give me, I'm not experiencing it. Can I ask you, are you developing your relationship with Christ by walking in and with him daily? Because the reality is that you and I can still choose man's way in our choices. And that is always going to lead towards death. If we want to experience the abundant life he came to bring us let's develop our relationship by walking in and with him and then secondly demonstrate it yield your life to christ so that his life and love will flow through it go his way learn from him take his yoke upon you grow in the grace and knowledge of the lord jesus christ do what he commands take up your cross and follow him and then speak We should be faithful sharing with others that Jesus is the better way. That he gives life that is true, life that is more, life that is better, life that is above, life that is abundant. Who are you sharing Christ with? 
if he is the savior of the world. If it really is a life and death issue. And not just two ways of life and whatever way you choose is okay. Why in the world would we not be faithfully sharing Christ with those around us? There are people all around us, as Paul David Tripp wrote about, who are seeking for life. And unfortunately, so many have forgotten, neglected, and rejected God. As Romans chapter 1 puts it, they have decided to worship and serve creation rather than the creator. And their end is destruction. But God has given us the answer. Let's be sure we're sharing it, speaking it to those around us. God's way of life is true and abundant. And in many ways every day we choose which we will follow. Deuteronomy 30, 19 and Jeremiah 21, 8 declare, declare the way of life and death. We have a choice. Choose life by choosing Jesus. For the believer in Christ, experience, demonstrate, and speak abundant love, life in Christ. And if you don't know Christ, know today that life that is true and abundant comes only from God through Christ. Believe, experience forgiveness, and enjoy the assurance of eternal life in heaven. He gave his life for you. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes this morning? Today, God is speaking to your heart. Maybe it's because you need to choose Christ. You need to believe on Christ today. Sitting here in this auditorium or anywhere else, anywhere in the world watching, watching or listening to this message, you can choose Christ. Recognize that you are a sinner condemned in your sin before God. That your sin damns you to a place called the lake of fire for all of eternity. But that's not God's desire for you. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And that's why he loved you enough to send his son Jesus Christ to die for you. He took your penalty of sin on himself. He was buried, and three days later, he was risen to life by the power of God. And today, he offers you his life. If you will believe. 